Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Hey man, good morning. How is everybody? Good to see you. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going to get into Mark chapter 7 here in in just a second. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Mark chapter 7. And if you don't have a Bible, you can find Mark chapter 7 on page 843 of the Bible underneath the chair in front of you. And I'd love for you, if you maybe forgot your Bible today or, um, or you don't have a Bible, I'd love for you to, to take that Bible. And if you don't have one, use it, keep it as our gift to you. And uh, we'll be on page Page 843, finishing up Mark chapter 7 uh, this morning. Hey, while you're finding Mark 7, let me just mention to you that a couple weeks ago I let you know about this and I also forewarned you that I would be mentioning it a few more times because it just takes, come on, let's be honest, we're church folks, it takes a few weeks for us to, to remember things. But a little update on our financial situation here at Crosspoint, which is a huge, huge praise um, but also to let you know where we stand, um, about three or four months ago in October, we um, were able, by God's grace, to buy this whole shopping center for uh, about three and a half million dollars, which we didn't have, but you know, banks help in these type of situations, and our bank was very, very gracious to us, Columbus Bank and Trust, and um, gave us the funding to purchase the whole shopping center which was our only option in that situation because the property was in foreclosure and um, the, bank didn't wanna, the bank that owned it didn't want to parcel it up. And so we were either looking at buying the whole thing or potentially have somebody else buy it and kick us out. So by God's grace, we bought the whole thing. And then very quickly thereafter, we sold off the front part of the property that we didn't need. And so what we have now is this building and then the two buildings next to us, the Playful Pals dog grooming business and the linens for less linens business, I guess is what they do there. And so um, those businesses will stay in business for the foreseeable future, but the owners of those businesses know that we own those buildings for future expansion um, when, that time's com- when that time comes years down the road, whatever that looks like, two, three, four, five, seven years, who knows. And so we're just going to deal with them on, a, on, a, on just a, a yearly basis or so. But after we sold off the front portion of the property, that left us with about $1.7 million after all the dust has settled for a mortgage. Now, of course, that sounds like a lot of money, and it is a lot of money, but for what we own now, 72,000 square feet, and we owe $1.7 million, that's, that's a steal. I mean, that's just God's grace. If we had to recreate 72,000 square feet with a parking lot, in the middle of Columbus on a raw piece of land, which, by the way, doesn't exist in the middle of Columbus, I mean, it would be you know, nowhere under $10 million at a minimum. So God has been exceedingly gracious. And, and oh, by the way, whatever, our mortgage on that $1.7 million is actually several thousand dollars less than what our lease payment was before we even started this process. So God has been gracious to us. But now we are in this position where the bank has been letting us sort of float an interest-only temporary loan until we know kind of where we are and, and then get to a point where we settle down into a long-term mortgage or a long-term a loan with the bank, a 15-year note. And that time for us to settle into that note is coming up here in about a month or so. And what we would like to do is to start that long-term posture with CB&T, who's been really helpful and patient with us, we want to start that long-term note with them with as low a figure as possible. So the analogy that we've been using is for, you know, you military guys that have been on a few ruck marches in your day, uh, you know, if you're going to do a 12-mile ruck march, you'd much rather start that with uh, maybe 50 pounds on your rucksack rather than 80 pounds, or maybe even 25 pounds on your rucksack, or maybe even just take your rucksack off altogether. But we're going to try as best we can to start that long-term loan with as low a principle as possible. So what I'm asking, what we as uh, church leadership elders and pastors are asking, is that if you are able 
in this next month to give to initially to that $1.7 million to try and knock that down as low as we can, then, then really now is the time. And you can do that by just giving. Notice we're not doing this before the offering. There's not, no manipulative thing. There's not guys in the back counting it, you know, to see how well you did so we can pass the baskets again at the end. Nothing strange or manipulative. And we're just, hey, if you are able, whatever that looks like in your life, if you are able even if it's a very small amount of money or if the Lord has been gracious to you, a very large amount of money, and you're able to help us get that figure down so that we start this long-term posture with Columbus Bank and Trust with as light a load as possible, now is the time. You can just give in the coming weeks by just marking building fund on there. And, and then that will put us in a position where after we settle in with that long-term note, we will continue to be as aggressive in, as possible in paying down our debt so that not 15 years from now, but in the next few years, Lord willing, we will be debt-free, which will mean not that then we can spend more money on ourselves, but that then we will be able to, to be even more radically gracious for the cause of missions and ministry outside of these four walls, not so that we can make ourselves more important, and more comfortable, but so that we can give more away. So what a, what, a, what a great privilege to send more missionaries like the Orliches to faraway lands where there are no Christians. That, that's, that's our motivation behind this. So our promise to you is no strange manipulative fundraising tactics. There's not going to be any consultants from Atlanta coming in with suits and strange haircuts. No chicken dinners for rich people. No thermometers on the stage. However, I will say this is that some sweet members of this church snuck into my office Friday morning with the assistance of our office staff and put a, a, a thermometer in my office as a sort of uh, mocking of my mocking. And so it's actually still in my office. It's so good I can't actually take it down, but we're not putting it up on stage. No Old Testament verses out of context. Um, no, no strange promises of blessing or favor if you give. Uh, we're just, here's our, here's our campaign. We need $1.7 million. <laughs> and that's pretty much what we're going with. But we have a God who owns everything in this world. And he has been exceedingly gracious to us. And so, um, I, let's just... Do this for the glory of God, whatever it looks like. Let's lock it in, let's go, and let's make much of Jesus for his glory and our joy. So thank you, church, for putting up with another one of those announcements. By the way, if you're visiting with us today, um, and, and the reason you haven't been in church for 10 years is because all they do is talk about money. Ah, come on, come on, come on. That, that, that's, this is like the, only the third time we've ever done that. So just let that fly over your head. Don't, don't run into that ditch and say, see, I told you, honey, all they want is my money. No, 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 we don't want your money. Um, we, 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 we love a God who wants your heart. And so that's what we're going to do now is preach from his word. So let's go to Mark chapter 7 and let's get into this. Well, this is an interesting text. Um, Jesus calls a woman a dog and then sticks his finger in a guy's ear. So <laughs> what, what, uh, what, what's, what's going on with, this, with these two stories? Well, let me pray and then we're going to read and work our way through these two beautiful interactions, and then at the end, I'll summarize with just three truths, three observations, three implications of, of this text. Let me pray. Father, thank you for, for the kindness that you have shown us. I mean, come on, Lord. What, who are we? Who are we that you've been so kind to us? I pray now that as we open up your word, and as we read these encounters of Jesus with this Gentile woman and this deaf and mute man that it would be more than history for us, but that it would be a living encounter of God interacting with souls, rugged, 
broken souls like us. I pray, Lord, that as we see the beauty of the gospel and the riches of your grace in this text this morning, that you would stir the hearts of Christians in this room, and that for those that are in this room, and Father, surely with a a group this size, there are people that have not yet trusted in Jesus in this room. First of all, I thank you that in your providence you've drawn them here. And secondly, Lord, I pray that you in your kindness would give them ears to hear and a heart to believe that you, by your great mercy, as we have sung earlier this morning, that you would make them alive and give them a new heart so that they can believe in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would do these things for your glory and for the everlasting joy of your people. I pray this in Jesus' strong and merciful name. Amen. Let's read in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So remember the first part of Mark chapter 7, Wayne preached on it two weeks ago, the first half of the first half of the chapter, and then, then I finished it up the second half of the first half of the chapter last week. Jesus was interacting with these religious Pharisees in, in the land of Israel and Palestine there, and now he's, he's leaving this clean part where he's been interacting with religious people and going to this very unclean region. So there's this juxtaposition of of even the geography where Jesus is leaving the religious and going to the irreligious and unclean Gentile people. And he rose, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician, by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So before we move on, let's just notice a couple things about these three verses. The first is, is that there's three sort of glaring issues that would jump out to a first century, especially Jewish reader of this text. One is that Jesus, for the first time, and I think the only time in his ministry, is actually leaving Israel and going to this this Gentile territory, this unclean territory of Tyre and Sidon. So he's going to an unclean region, and he is approached by an unclean woman, a Gentile Syrophoenician. And sort of that doesn't strike us as particularly noteworthy in our day because it was, it's not unnatural for a, a woman to come up to a man who might be a notable person and sort of you know, ask him for a favor or ask him for his autograph or whatever. Yesterday afternoon, I was watching the, uh, the dog whisperer, Cesar Milan, you know that guy? He's actually from my neck of the woods and where he was an illegal immigrant and he came across the border like right by my hometown. But anyway, he was doing all these seminars and um, people like in Helsinki, Finland and Norway and all these people who knew that everybody loved the dog whisperer so much, they were like coming up to Cesar Milan you know, just asking for his autograph. And that's nothing, it doesn't seem strange for us today to have a woman approach a notable man and maybe, you know, ask for his autograph or whatever. But it would have been forbidden in this day for a woman to approach a man, let alone a Gentile woman, to approach a Jewish man. So, so, so he's going to an unclean place. He's being approached by an unclean woman who is asking him to heal her unclean, demon-possessed daughter. That's striking, especially for first century readers. And notice in verse 26, her boldness. It says that she begged him really there in the original language. That's like present progressive. It's like she continued to beg him. You know, I mean... A commentary I read on this uh, said that there's courageous people and there's cowardly people and then there's mamas. (laughs) I mean, come on now. Her daughter, I don't know what her personality type was, but her daughter was in trouble and Mama Bear was trying to save one of her little cubs. 
I mean, come on. I think those of us that have had a child that's in distress, I mean, you don't want to cross, you don't want to cross a mama whose child is in trouble. And so think about the urgency of this lady who's coming to Jesus. She doesn't care that she's unclean. She doesn't care that she's a Gentile and that he's a Jewish holy man. She doesn't care because her child has an issue and she throws herself at the feet of Jesus. She doesn't care about anything else in that moment. And then listen to what Jesus says to her in verse 27. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. <laughs> no, no. I mean, did you, he just called her a dog. He just called her a dog. So what's he saying there? So he says, let the children be fed first. So what does children mean in that sentence there? Jesus is alluding to the fact that his people, the Jewish people, are the, the children of God. And so he's giving her this sort of word picture, this analogy. He's saying that the Israelites are the children, and you, Syrophoenician, unclean Gentile woman, are the dog. Good day, top of the morning to you, lady. <laughs> Thank you for, for approaching me. So, so what is Jesus saying there? Well, um, two things. The, a dog in, in that culture especially wouldn't be like uh, dogs in our culture. Um, you know, I mean, we spend so much money. I mean, there's probably people, and don't be offended if this is you, but let's just be honest. This is a little, this is maybe a little excessive. There's probably people in this room who have like shirts for your dogs, like, like we clothe our dogs, right, and sit on our laps and all this kind of stuff in the family picture, got the little handkerchief around. That's fine. I got one, too. I love my dog. My dog's an outside dog, but I love my dog. I mean, every time I see him, I spoil him, I pet him, I feed him. But, but, but in this culture, we, don't, they don't, we wouldn't think of dogs the way we would think of dogs. Dogs were like large rodents that just sort of ate the scraps and and, and, and were on the outskirts of the city, and they were disease carriers. So either he was using that word for dog, or maybe he was using, and I think this is what is happening here in Mark. In fact, this is the word that he uses in Mark, is, is that he, it's the word for a sort of diminutive dog, like a little puppy, like a child's little pet. But, but either way, I mean, at the end of the day, he called her a dog. Why? Would Jesus call her a dog? I think the answer to that is Jesus is testing her faith, wanting to draw something out of her. See, see that Jesus is no bleeding heart liberal that just wants to pass out, you know, just all oh, just so just I just I don't want you to go through any hardship. I don't want you to press through anything. I don't want you to have to fight through anything. He, he's not like that. He's he's testing this woman who's coming to him, begging at his feet, and he calls her a dog. Contrast that with this meek and mild, wimpy Jesus that we have in American culture. I mean, look at every picture of Jesus that we have. He looks like Andy Gibb from the Bee Gees, right? <laughs> the little feathered hair, 70s, kind of throwing it back. Soft blue eyes, soft little skin, little hands that have never worked. That's not Jesus. Jesus is this beautiful, ferocious man who says to this woman, you're a dog. So let that sink in for a second. Why is he saying that? Because Jesus is loving her in a severe way, but he's loving her because he's wanting to draw something out of her. And then listen to her response, verse 28. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What a reaction. What a reaction. She's agreeing with him. Look, if I got called a dog, I, I would probably have to step back and say, okay, <laughs> let's start this again. Let me, let me I'll tell you what, I'm going to go back outside, I'm going to come back in, and we'll start this over, right? Or there would be, you know, some sort of, she... She doesn't miss a beat. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. 
what's going on here. We see this woman reacting beautifully to Jesus' kind severity with humble boldness. And, and those two words are important, with humble boldness. She doesn't sort of get her, you know, she doesn't get riled up. She doesn't take it self-defensively and get personal about it, but she comes right back at Jesus. She agrees with the assessment of her state before God, and she says, yes, I'm a dog, but Jesus, you are so merciful that even your scraps can feed the dogs. You see, she's not thinking about her own character and being defensive about who she is. She's focused on who Jesus is and his character and what he can do for her, even if she's a dog compared to an Israelite. This is what Tim Keller in his wonderful book called The King's Cross writes. It's a, basically his sort of running commentary on the book of Mark. I think we sell it in the Resource Center. I would really commend it to you. And on this text, this is what Tim Keller has written on, on this response from this woman. He says, in Western cultures, we don't have anything like this kind of assertiveness. We only have assertion of our rights. Come on, we're Americans, right? We do not know how to contend unless we're standing up for our rights, standing on our dignity and our goodness and saying, this is what I'm owed. But this woman is not doing that at all. This is rightless assertiveness, something we know little about. She's not saying, listen to this, she's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness, and I need it now. Do you see that? And do you see how difficult it is for us as Americans to think like that? Because we have rights. Certain unalienable rights, according to our Constitution, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And woe be the person or the government institution or even the God that gets in the way of our rights. Do you see this? She is agreeing with Jesus' assessment of who she is, but she's saying, nevertheless, I'm coming after you because I know you have what I need. See, there's this beautiful mix. She doesn't fall off on the ditch on either way. She doesn't have a superiority complex. She doesn't think, oh, I'm, I'm more worthy than that. But she also doesn't have an inferiority complex. Do you see that? She doesn't sort of get self-absorbed. And I think this is the danger for many of us as well. Some of us are, we fluctuate between thinking, oh, I'm, I have rights. And then some of us fall off the ditch on the other side and we're too much into the kind of the woes me, woes me, for I am... You know, there's no way, God, I'm beyond God's grace. I'm just a poor wretch. I mean, either one of those are ditches off the gospel road. Because either way, it's self-absorbed. You see, you're either self-absorbed in your own righteousness or you're self-absorbed in your own sin, thinking that your sin somehow is more powerful than God's grace. Either way, it's the flip side of the same coin of self-absorption. This is what Keller continues to say in his book. Listen to this. He says that the gospel tells us that we are more wicked than we ever believed, but at the same time more loved and accepted than we ever dared to hope. And that's what this woman is discovering and has discovered in her humble boldness. Which, which way do you fall more? Uh, which, one, which, which side of the ditch are you more vulnerable to fall off into, a sort of demanding your rights before the creator of the universe, or a sort of self-absorbed wretchedness, thinking that there's no way God could rescue a person like you. You realize that both of them are lies? Which side, which ditch do you fall off into? Or are you like me? I, I occasionally fall off into both sides of the ditch. <laughs> I deserve this, God. Oh, I'm so, I'm so wretched. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Maybe you're, maybe you're ambidextrous in your self-absorption like I am. <laughs> so let's keep reading. Verse 29. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. 
Actually, uh, maybe a more literal translation of that would be, whoa, Jesus is like expressing amazement at her, her understanding of who he is. You see, she's losing, she's losing a view of who she is because she's so confident of who he is. For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter, and she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. So in this interaction with this unclean Gentile Syrophoenician woman, we see this severe, kind mercy of Jesus and humble boldness of this woman. All right, so the scene changes now. Let's read in verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Now we've heard Decapolis before. This is back in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus healed that man. Remember that demon-possessed man that was outside the city that was breaking the chains and Jesus came up to him and he sent this legion of demons into the herd of pigs and the herd of pigs ran off the cliff into the sea. Remember? That was in Decapolis. And remember what happened at the end of that story? The people asked him to leave. (laughs) You know, I mean, thank you for solving our problem, but please get out of here. You're scaring us now, Jesus. Well, he's back in that city again and it's a little bit of a different reaction. Verse 32, and then they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, listen to this, get into this scene now, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. So what's going on here? Why is Jesus sort of going through these strange sort of motions to heal this man? Because remember, we made the point before, remember when we looked at Jesus in the boat, that Jesus doesn't have to sort sort of offer or conjure up some incantation to to stop the storms. Jesus doesn't need to do that. He just sort of wakes up from a nap and says, oh, you guys, come on, where's your faith? Stop. And the storm, the weather changed instantly. And and we made the point then that Jesus, because he's God, he doesn't need to summon a prayer to God. He is God, and so he stops it. So is is Jesus doing some sort of strange witch, witch doctor kind of ritual now? No, I think what's going on here is that Jesus is displaying compassion for this man. The first thing that he does there in verse 33 is he takes this man aside. I mean, think about what it would be like to be in that culture, and he's deaf and mute, and this culture is, is like we've read before, is assuming that if you have some sort of physical uh, sickness or ailment, that it's probably a result of your sin or your parents' sin. Remember that story in John chapter 9 where they bring this blind man to Jesus and they say to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? And Jesus says to them, neither. He was born blind so that my glory might be shown in his life as I heal him right now. Which brings up a huge truth about the sovereignty of God in sickness and trial, which is for another time. But the point is, is think about how difficult this guy's life has been being an outcast in the culture and Jesus not wanting to make a spectacle of about of what he's about to do has compassion on this man and pulls him aside and then what I think Jesus is doing here is he's not going through some ritualistic healing incantation he is showing this man through even sort of like sign language what I'm about to do to you right now. Because I don't want this miracle to just sort of breeze over your head. I don't want to just hit you like a Mack truck and say, boom, boom, there, I'm done with you, next. You know, this isn't, this isn't a busy doctor's office in the, in the middle of, you know, Sidon. And I'm sorry for you doctors. I'm not saying that you don't spend enough time with your patients. I'm sorry. <laughs> My wife is one of them. I don't want to be talked to after this. I'm just saying, there's, he's, not, he's, not just, he's not just breezing over this guy's head. Oh, they brought me another guy. I wanted some rest. Bam, here, get out of my way. He takes time. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, is pulling this man aside. And then very gently, he's, it's like sign language. He's saying, look, 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 here's what I'm going to do. I'm, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring your hearing back. <laughs> and I'm going to touch your tongue. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to touch your tongue. And I'm going to make you speak. And so you know who's doing this? Jesus, it says he looks up into heaven. So you know this isn't just some strange ritual. That, that who's doing this is God. Do you see the patience and the kindness of Jesus? Hey, you're gonna, I'm going to make you hear. And I'm going to make you talk. And this is, this is going to be God that's doing this. And then, listen to this, then he sighs. And it's not a... <sighs> it's not one of those type of sighs. It's, a, it's like, oh man. Oh man, you've, you've had it rough, haven't you? You've had it rough. Oh. Oh. I mean, think, think about that. That Jesus is about to heal this guy. And yet he takes the time to enter into his pain. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> think about that compassion. And he sighs. And he says to him, Ephatha, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. There's one more little thing that I want you to notice in this text before we, we move on and look at his three implications about this passage. He said, notice in verse 32 where it says that they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. In the original language that the New Testament was written in in Greek, and I'm, I'm no Greek scholar, but I have lots of books that help me learn these things. That, that phrase, that original word for speech impediment, is a word, it's mogalalos, that is only used one other time in the entire Bible. It's a very strange and unusual and rare word. And the only other time it is used is all the way back in the Old Testament. Now remember, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, which the Jewish people in Greek-speaking lands would have used. And in Isaiah chapter 35, that same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is used about the work of God when he comes to heal his people. Listen to Isaiah chapter 35. Let me, let me read verse 5. And, and then I'll go back and read a few verses before that. But look at, look, let me just read Isaiah 35, verse 5. It says, when this, when this saving God comes, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And that same word, the deaf, those that cannot speak, is the same word. In fact, it's the only time that it's used in the Bible in those two places. So what's happening there? Mark is making a point. He's making a point that Jesus is not just a mere healer. He's identifying Jesus' work with this Old Testament passage hundreds of years before that is speaking not just about a healer, but about God. Because let's read a couple verses up in that Isaiah 35 text. It says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. And then in verse 5 that we just read, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And so, so why is that important, friends? Why is that little technical little word thing important? Because Mark is using that word to draw his readers back to the Old Testament so that when we read about Jesus unstopping the tongue and the ears of this deaf mute with that word that he's showing us that Jesus is more than just a mere temporary healer, but he's the God that was spoken of in the Old Testament who comes not just to heal temporarily, but to save forever. Do you see that? And Jesus is entering into this man's world and he's, he's sighing in compassion, even as he is revealing himself as not just a healer, but as 
the Lord God who saves. So three, three implications, observations, truths, things, applications. I don't even know what to call them. Three statements. One is that Jesus has no cultural barriers, and neither should we. Jesus, think I, the, notice, the, notice the contrast. I think Mark 7 has probably been my favorite chapter in Mark so far, because the first half, he's rebuking the religious in Israel, and in the second half, he is He's going after the unclean outside the holy lands. Do you see this contrast? Jesus is crossing over. He's not waiting for them to. He's going after people that are unclean that had no business approaching Jesus. And because Jesus is like that and because we are his people, we too are free to do this. In fact, we should do this. One of the great joys of Pastoring this church the past eight years has been to see it grow not only numerically from a core group meeting in our living room where Jennifer and I were the oldest people in the church when we started it out and and Paul and Lance were like the second oldest people in the church uh, to see it grow generationally but to see it also grow ethnically in a different mix of social economic demographics to see that as a beautiful thing, and that should cause our hearts to sing, to see racial diversity, to see people. There's, there's international people here at this church from people from not from America. I mean, I think we have people from China. We have people from Taiwan. We, we have people from Texas here. Well, I mean, we have, we, <laughs> we, we have people from California, that Pacific Island bordering the coast of Arizona. But do you, see, do you see how that should give us, like, when we see Jesus doing these things, we see this, this missionary heart of God to go after people who, who seem to be on the outskirts, people that didn't grow up in church, people who had no VBS in, in their childhood, people who didn't go to Sunday school, people that have never seen a, a flannel graph little thing of Moses, people that have never seen those things. That, 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 that we would go after them and that our, that our heads would be on a swivel for them in this room so that we're looking not just for the people that are sort of, you know, we're comfortable with, that we've been friends with for a long time, but that, that those that would call Cross Point home would have a sort of head on a swivel for people of other races, of other cultures, of other socioeconomic stratospheres, and we would go after them like we would go after them so that we're constantly in positions where we are bumping up against people who are not like us because there's this beautiful gospel aroma happens when we act like Jesus and we ignore. In fact, we defy cultural barriers. Point number two flows from this is that Jesus has compassion on the least among us and so should we. You see, the two different ways, I mean, this is so encouraging even. This Gentile woman comes to him but then this deaf and mute man is brought to Jesus. And Jesus has compassion on the least among us. And he takes time out of his hurried, busy schedule. In fact, it started off saying that he wanted to get away to rest. And yet they bring one more hard case to him. One more person that's going to kink up my schedule and cause me to set aside all of my busyness, one more that is going to take patience and gentleness, and one more that's going to cause me to miss out on what I wanted to do today, but yet Jesus has this amazing compassion for the least among us, and so should we, and there again lies this beautiful gospel truth that when God's people see this character of Jesus and they get this same heart that Jesus has, it just makes life so more satisfying. And, and here's, a, here's a sort of secondary thing that happens is, is 
I think as American Christians, we are obsessed with our own spiritual growth. We are blindly obsessed with our own spiritual growth. And so we want to, you know, learn more about the Bible. We want to figure out more about truth and all this kind of stuff. And that, that can be, and that, that's good. That's good. I mean, that's a good thing. But it's like, it's like the only goal of the Christian life for a lot of people in America. And what happens is, is you can be so like beelined on your own personal spiritual growth that we walk over broken people to get to our Bible studies or to our church services. Do you, do you see that? And do you see that we completely miss the fact that as we sort of get our eyes up from our belly buttons and stop being so concerned with our growth and start to lose ourselves in aiding the growth of other people in their journey towards Jesus, something strange and beautiful happens. We give ourselves away and we actually grow. Do you, do you see that? We actually benefit far more than ever staying in our little huddle with our little stuff that we're learning, staring at the lint in our belly button. Do you, do you see that? There's this strange, beautiful thing that happens when you get your head on a swivel and you lose yourself in somebody else's problems in trying to solve them rather than to trying to satisfy your own. This beautiful gospel aroma starts to arise from your life and the life of a congregation that does that. And that brings me to the third point, and I think this is actually the point of the passage. And it is that Jesus rebukes the religious but he accepts the unclean. Okay, so I think you can get this text, and I think you can read it properly, and I think you can completely miss it. You see, we will make a grave error if the point of this Sunday is, oh, wow, Jesus is merciful. He loves unclean Gentiles. He loves unclean people. That he calls a dog. Yikes, but... Uh, Jesus, yeah. Or, uh, Jesus is compassionate. He loves deaf and mute people. And if we stop there, I think we miss the point of the story. Because, you see, here's the point of the story. I'm a dog. And you're a dog. And I'm deaf and dumb. And you're deaf and dumb. You see that? The point of the story is, is that we're dogs and that we're deaf and mute. But Jesus comes to dogs who are deaf and mute and he rescues them. Do you see that? Don't read yourself out of the story. Don't be a modern day version of the Pharisee that Jesus rebukes and don't just look at God's grace as a sort of observer. And even if you've been a Christian for 30 years and even if you are humble, even if you are walking in grace, let this truth drive the foundation of God's gospel grace deeper into your life because you need more humility. You need more perspective on what God did when he saved you because it will cause you to worship him more. It'll cause you to love him more. And it'll cause you to go after people who are like you with so much more fervor. Do you see that? Do you see, friends? That's why Christians or people that have never heard the gospel need the gospel all the same because it's an aroma to those whom God is saving and it's a reminder that causes worship in the person who's been saved for a very long time. I'm a dog. I was a dog. I was deaf and dumb, but Jesus saved me. And hearing that again and again and again is exactly what my soul needs, not just to be saved, but to grow. Because it reminds me that Jesus is mighty to save. And it gets my heart off of myself. And it gives me motivation to go after people who are dogs. I know that some of you have been concerned that it's been a month or so since I've read a Charles Spurgeon quote. <laughs> and so here goes. This is the Spurgeon quote that I think I've read most often here, and we'll end with this. I almost have this memorized. I've read it so much here. 
But listen to these words from his little book called All of Grace, which is in the Resource Center. I, gosh, I commend it to you. It is a heartwarming, gospel-stirring little book. It's a compilation of some of his sermons. Listen to what Spurgeon says about how Jesus goes after the dogs and the deaf and the mute. Spurgeon says, Come in your disorder. I mean, come to your heavenly Father in all your sin and sinfulness. Come to Jesus just as you are. Leprous, filthy, naked, neither fit to live nor fit to die. Come, you that are the very sweepings of creation. Come, though you hardly dare to hope for anything but death. Come, though despair is brooding over you, pressing upon your bosom like a horrible nightmare. Come and ask the Lord to justify another ungodly one. Why should he not? Come, for this great mercy of God is meant for such as you. I put it in the language of the text, and I cannot put it more strongly. And the text he's referring to, by the way, is Romans 4, 5, that says God justifies the ungodly. I put it in the language of the text, and I cannot put it more strongly. The Lord God himself takes to himself the gracious title, Him that justifieth the ungodly. He makes just and causes to be treated as just those who by nature are ungodly. Is that not a wonderful word for you? Do not delay till you have considered this matter well. Be like that Syrophoenician woman. Don't fall off into the ditch of a superiority complex or fall off into the equally destructive ditch of an inferiority complex. But look to Jesus, who has enough bread for even a dog like you and me. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, I pray that you would take these words that we've read from Mark's account of the gospel And that you would use them to bring life to the hearts of people in this room who are not yet, or came into this room not yet trusting in Jesus. Father, would you be so kind as to make them alive and give them the gift of faith and repentance so that they can turn away from trusting in themselves, turn away from either thinking that they are too good or too bad. And then they would turn and look to Jesus. God became man, the perfect Son of God who laid down His perfect righteous life on a cross to absorb the punishment of sin for all those that would trust in Him and His work alone. Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would give my friends who have not yet believed in Jesus a heart so that they can believe in Jesus. And Father, make it clear to them that I'm not asking them to muster up faith because they have no faith. They're dead. I'm not praying to them. I'm praying to you. I'm praying to you, Lord, to be gracious, for you to give a heart believes for you to give the gift of faith and repentance and you are far more gracious and merciful than they are capable so all of my hope is in you Lord would you give life so that they can have faith friend if that's you right now and you feel that life stirring in you that's evidence that God is making you alive that he's opening your eyes and ears so that you can see Jesus you don't need to go through a whole bunch of steps. You just need to breathe. You need to be like a newborn that just comes out of his mother's womb and cries. That's all you need to do, cry. Cry out to God. 
and say, Jesus, I believe you. I finally believe you. You have done it for me. You've rescued another ungodly one. Thank you, Jesus. That, that's what you need to do right now, friend. Turn away from self and turn to Jesus and cry. And Father, for the rest of us in this room who have done that, whether a short time ago or years ago, would you stir, would you stir this afresh in our hearts so that we would worship you more deeply and that we would love you more passionately so that you can use the, the overflow of our joy for the salvation of someone around us. And would you, would you help us get our heads up outside of ourselves so that we can see the dogs and the deaf like we were. And would you do this for your glory and our joy and now would we respond to you in song and communion and prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, let's all stand as the worship team is going to lead us in a few songs before Robert comes and ends our time with a reading from God's Word. You're welcome to sing along with this, with the worship team. You're welcome to come if you are a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus. You are welcome to come and take the Lord's Supper, which is bread and juice that symbolizes Jesus' body and blood that was broken and spilled on the cross for us. If you're a Christian, you're welcome to come to this table and remember and examine your life in light of that. The rest of us, I encourage us to, to sing, to pray, to consider Jesus and to worship Him. If you feel like maybe you're becoming a Christian or that you have become a Christian or for the very first time you're truly trusting in Jesus, I, along with many other people that are Christians already, would love to know that. We'd love to talk to you. And so you can come talk to me or one of the other pastors or maybe just somebody close to you that you know to be a Christian. And just tell them that you're trusting in Jesus and, and they'll help you just begin your life in Christ. But let's respond to the Lord in worship now together.